Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Thursday, May 2nd, 2019. I'm your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for joining me for another edition of Locked on Spartans. On today's show, got a couple of different things going on here. Uh, we had some interesting news, a development, uh, if you will, uh, related to Michigan State basketball with a scholarship offer and a potential addition to this year's recruiting class. So we will talk about that here in a second. Then after that, uh, we've got Matt Wenzel from uh, MLive, who covers, uh, Matt covers Michigan State football for MLive. He was uh, with Kari Willis at his uh, family's home during uh, day two and three of the NFL draft and was there when Kari was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, wrote a really nice piece on Kari, the process, and then just sort of his uh, life story leading up to this point. So he'll be on in segment two to talk about that. And then as I teased uh, on Tuesday's show, we're going to finish up this show with a little bit of uh, Michigan State adjacent stuff, uh, not specifically related to Michigan State, but it is football in the state of Michigan. Um, we're going to welcome in Andrew Wade from Locked on Hawkeyes and Dear Old Gold. Uh, he covers Iowa, and uh, with the Detroit Lions selecting TJ Hawkinson in the first round of the NFL draft last week, I thought it would be interesting to get an Iowan's perspective on uh, what the Lions are getting in Hawkinson, given that a lot of listeners to this show also uh, unfortunately have to root for Detroit Lions football uh, on Sundays during the football season. So we'll talk to him a little bit about Hawkinson and the type of player he is because you know we didn't get to see him a ton uh, with Michigan State and Iowa being across divisions uh, and not playing each other as frequently as they did in previous years. So we'll do that in segment three. A reminder, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you wouldn't mind heading on over to iTunes, giving a five-star rating, I always appreciate those. And like I always say, subscribing to the podcast is the easiest way to get it to your phone every single day. Just go to your favorite podcast service, hit the subscribe button, and new episodes get sent directly to your phone when they get published uh, at 5 a.m. every single day. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about some basketball recruiting. Okay, so... Uh, Michigan State has reportedly offered a scholarship to 2020 five-star prospect Nfale Dante. Now, here's why this uh, is interesting. Uh, let's see. So, <laughs> he's a five-star player. <laughs> we'll start there. Number 11 prospect uh, in the 24-7 sports composite, the number two center, number one player in the state of Kansas. 24-7 has him as a five-star number 17 player in the country. Uh, any way you shake it, he is a very, very highly rated prospect. 6'11", 230 center, who's um, just judging by things I've uh, looked through and read in terms of him and his development, uh, is a guy who's adding an offensive game, but is someone who's going to come in, be an athletic big who can block shots, protect the rim, be a great rebounder. Um, and you know, I watched a little bit of highlight videos and things like that. He's a springy dude for being that high. Uh, a lot of alley oop finishes on his, and uh, and looks to be, you know, developing some games. So he is certainly a very very interesting prospect. Uh, right now, he is being recruited heavily by LSU, Kansas, and Kentucky, as well as Oregon, a number of other schools. But those are his big four, the favorites right now. Uh, and the current crystal ball prediction is that he will end up at LSU. So he's a class of 2020 prospect. Michigan State offers him 
Um, why are we spending an entire segment on him right now? That's not, you know, sometimes we talk recruiting and things like that, but rarely to this extent. Well, there is potential that he could reclassify to the class of 2019. Now, if you're not familiar with the reclassification process, uh, what happens is kids go to their normal high school, and this is happening more and more and more uh, with college basketball prospects. Uh, they go to normal high school for a year, for two years, and then they transfer into a boarding school, a prep, well, not boarding school, a prep school, uh, you know, wherever it is. There's a number of prep schools around the country that are sort of basketball um, powerhouses, and these players end up going there, um, and they're able to reclassify because prep schools are generally, um, you know, they're, kids go to really good schools out of prep schools, right? Uh, Ivy League preparation, things like that, preparing to go to really good schools. And so the course load is different than the public education system. And what the NCAA requires for graduation and eligibility, um, many of the kids end up finishing that before they would be graduating from the prep school because they've taken those classes uh, at their normal high schools. In, in prep school, you kind of end up uh, almost repeating a grade. You're not held back or anything like that, but you end up doing things, taking classes that you've already taken and, and end up staying an extra year. Whereas, and this happens a lot with international students as well from Canada because Canada or Canadian students take these required courses. The I think it's 16 core courses that you have to have. Uh, they end up taking them earlier in their high school years, so they're able to reclassify uh, R.J. Barrett is just a recent example from Canada that did that. There's a number of others. Um, but a lot of guys who go to prep school end up reclassifying, especially top-end prospects, because you know if you're a top 10, top 15, top 5 recruit, and you have the ability to reclassify, it makes sense to do so. You get to college a year sooner, and you get to the NBA a year sooner. Uh, and with their ages and things like that, it's not like you know a 17-year-old being a freshman at college. These are kids who are uh, you know, like I said, kind of almost repeating a year when they go to prep school. And so Infale uh, Dante goes to Sunrise Christian in Wichita, Kansas, which is a well-known basketball school. It's where Tum Tum played. And it's also where Michigan State signee Malik Hall uh, plays, played. Uh, actually, you know what? What is it? It's May right now. He's probably probably finished with his basketball season where he played his high school basketball. It took me a second there to realize, remember what the calendar was for high school sports there. Uh, so Malik Cullen and Fale Dante were teammates and, um, you know, Hall is coming to Michigan State next year and Dante in theory has one more year left. But if he were to reclassify into the class of 2019, which is um, apparently an avenue that he is exploring, uh, then he would be in line to potentially take that final scholarship offer for Michigan State. And we had talked previously how uh, the most likely scenario that Michigan State was going to add a grad transfer or seek uh, an additional transfer that might have to sit out a year, whether it's, you know, Kerry Blackshear in the grad transfer market or the Hauser brothers uh, in the sit out a year transfer uh, scenario and that, you know, jumping in late on a recruit uh, especially with most of the top guys already signed in, um, you know, maybe isn't the most beneficial thing. Better to save that four years of scholarship for someone you've been recruiting for a long time. And yes, Michigan State is jumping in late on this one, but I think had he, you know, stayed in the class of 2020, you know, and you offer him as a junior, that's not too late into the process. There's still plenty of time to make headway in terms of recruiting him. And I'm sure there's been contact with him 
you know, especially with Malik Hall, you know, being teammates. It's certainly been out to watch him uh, and watching Dante uh, at the same time. So that relationship you would assume is there. So uh, with those sort of things factored in and, you know, I'm sure Dante and his representation as people and coaches and things like that are aware of the Michigan State scholarship situation with Nick Ward leaving and freeing one up. Uh, that he could reclassify and end up at Michigan State this next season. He could also reclassify and go to LSU. He could reclassify and go to Kentucky, Kansas, Oregon. Uh, he could, you know, jump into any of those. And, you know, he's a 99.56 to, uh, star rating. Like, that's his rating. He's going to be a top 15 player uh, in the class of 2019 if he reclassifies. So he's not going to drop in the rankings or anything like that. He's going to still be a guy... Uh, just like he is now that everyone wants to get their hands on. So that makes things kind of interesting. It's a really interesting develop something development, something we're going to have to follow here uh, as we move forward. I haven't heard any additional sort of follow-ups or anything like that. If there's a visit scheduled, uh, what the situation is with his reclassification, but uh, certainly we're going to be hearing about it. Uh, Malik Hall did come out and say that he is going to absolutely lock in uh, on him, remember, you know, Michigan State hadn't offered him yet. So while the two had probably had conversations about it, now that he's got an offer and something to consider for Michigan State, I'm sure Malik Hall will be all over that. And I think that certainly bodes well for Michigan State, just having that in. And really, a pipeline is almost being established here from Sunrise Christian to Michigan State, starting with Tom Malik Hall after that. And then if you could inf- if you could add Infale Dante, uh, that would just be a fantastic setup there for Michigan State. So, uh, like I said, no really news-breaking, earth-shattering developments beyond the fact that Michigan State offered them, but it's another potential scenario to watch for how Michigan State decides to fill that last scholarship spot. Uh, all right, let's break right there. When we get back, we'll have Matt Wenzel from MLive to talk about Kari Willis. You can get Locked on Spartans on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcasts Locked on Spartans. Guys, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stack of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go one place to get it done. At ZipRecruiter.com slash Lockdown. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. Uh, but they don't just stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. That's right. They go find the right people and say, hey, this job is for you. Apply to it. Like, how valuable is that to you as someone who is hiring? As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, welcome back to Locked on Spartans. We are joined now by Matt Wenzel of MLive. He covers Michigan State football for them. And uh, Matt, you were uh, in the house of Kari Willis during the NFL draft while he was selected. And from that, you put out a great story, uh, which you guys can find at MLive. Kari Willis, the Indianapolis Colts, and the realization of an NFL dream. Uh, and so you are coming on to talk to us about that today. First, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Oh, no problem, man. I'm doing pretty well. 
Good. Uh, can you just just to start, kind of take us through the scene uh, at the Willis house there? There was some thought he could be a day two selection. That didn't come to fruition. Goes early in day three. And there's sometimes, you know, that sort of awkward, it's a party, but you can't celebrate just quite yet. Uh, but then the moment finally comes. Can you just sort of take us through uh, what that was like being there for that? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, uh, you know, Kari knew he wasn't going to get picked uh, day one, first round, um, but thought and thought, you know, I think he's, he's a pretty realistic guy. He thought that uh, day two was a possibility, you know, sure wasn't guaranteed. He thought that's where, you know, from based on what he'd been hearing from his from his agent feedback that, you know, that's kind of when the window opened up and you never really know if, if that's where your range is. Uh, day three seemed more likely. So day two was kind of, you know, I was there uh, for, you know, five hours or whatever that the second and third rounds took. And um, I don't think anybody was, I don't think he was shocked he didn't come off the board, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he, he woke up Saturday fully expecting to get picked and, and, it, and it didn't take long. Um, <laughs> you know, it was 1230 or whatever, when he, 1220 something when he got the, when he got a phone call from the Colts who told him they were, trading up to uh to take him and you know he uh he basically said the bare minimum on the phone just thank you appreciate the opportunity looking forward to it and you know it was pretty clear to anybody in the room when you know when he answered the phone call that that somebody was giving him draft news but he didn't really say much he just people asked he just said uh you know it was the Colts so they're trading up to pick me and he just went back to watching the tv um (laughs) people uh you know, his parents were busy, uh, you know, this is his parents' house in Jackson, but, uh, you know, they were busy, you know, preparing a bunch of stuff, getting things ready because there weren't, not everybody had come over yet. So they, they got him to come down to the basement and he was able to, and they were able to watch on TV with him as he uh, heard his name called. And obviously that was, that led to, uh, you know, quite the celebration from those that were around him. Yeah, certainly a, a special moment. And really, uh, as you go into the story, a, a really unique special story, Kari's growing up. Uh, I want to start with uh, what you start with and just him getting sick as a child. You know, sometimes with these guys, we don't get to know them a ton and get their full backstories. And I thought this was a really interesting uh, way you laid things out. Uh, Kari was really sick as a kid. And, um, you know, I don't know if his life was completely in peril there, but uh, it was a serious situation. Uh, What can you tell the people about that? Um, first of all, I'm not going to pretend to take credit for being the first one to, to mm-hmm. report that incident. I, I'm certainly not. Um, you know, you know, he grew up in Jackson with the, the Citizen Patriot there and covered him extensively in high school. I can't recall if that came up in one of the number of feature stories done there, but it had been reported by other people. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm the first to get it. But yeah, I mean, he was seven months old and he, and he had a severe fever and his parents took him to the hospital and then they airlifted him to, uh, CS Mott at uh, U of M and, you know, using in, you know, critical condition for, for three days, I think is what uh, the case was. And his dad said, you know, they, you know, they couldn't do surgery because he, he told me that he said the doctor said that basically any sort of surgery would be a 50, 50. And I, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I know the ins and outs like a doctor of this <laughs> condition, but long, long and short of it, you know, he was on antibiotics and they tested everything and monitored him. And for three days, he just, Dad said it was like nothing had ever happened. He was, you know, back to being just who he was, normal, normal baby, and he moved on with his life. And like his, you know, his mom said he, she always told him he was there for a reason. So, yeah, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then I think that just sort of sets the table really nicely for how his life kind of plays out. Uh, he grew up in a big family with some older brothers that were pretty tough on him, uh, and really kind of toughened him up from a young age, right? Oh yeah, I mean he was, 
the seventh of, of ten children. Um, I think the fifth of the boys, if I remember right off the top of my head. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I have known Kari for more than you know, like five years or something. You know, he's talked about it before that um, you know everything was a competition. It was you know who got the biggest bowl of cereal or who had the biggest spoon. You know, everything was competitive. And you know, growing up with older brothers and anybody that's been in that situation, athletically, you know what it's like where you're trying to play with them and trying to keep up with them. And, and he was always trying to keep up with older kids. And I think that obviously helped in his, in his development as an athlete. And, you know, I mean, it can't hurt when you play with older kids unless they beat up on you too much. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it helped mature him athletically and, uh, and probably personally too, you know, he's always been a very mature person for his age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so he grows up into a, just a star athlete uh, going into high school and actually was, uh, you played AAU with Miles Bridges, was a recruited uh, basketball player. Um, and sort of, you know, there was a time when, uh, all right, it's it's got to be a decision. It's got to be a football or basketball. We got to, you know, pursue this college path on one of these things. And I thought it was interesting. Uh, what can you tell the people how he came to the decision that football was a sport for him? Well, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, first of all, he was going to quit football to play basketball. Um, he had by you know, the summer of his sophomore year, he had he had received Division One basketball offers. His dad John had always made his boys play multiple sports, mm-hmm. and the only way out of that was to get a Division One offer, and then he would let you just concentrate on one. And so he did, and he was just going to play basketball. And then uh, you know, shortly before uh, Lumen Christie started. Uh, practice his junior year he just told his dad he needed a pair of cleats and you know kind of the rest of history he started playing you know he became a just an absolutely dominant running back for for Lumen Christie which is one of the most storied programs in the state mm-hmm. and the school started uh you know then the offers started rolling in and I think he just you know he you know at 5 11 guard you know I mean I think your your prospects in in basketball aren't as great as it would be in football and I think you know, he he was a very good basketball player, no doubt about it. But football seemed to be the better the better sport for him. And his dad liked telling a story that after uh, one of the summer camps at Michigan State, he didn't, Curry didn't like the way he tested, and and just said, "All right, well, he motivated him. He said, all right, I'm going to play football.' So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> just there you it, go. <laughs> a failure finding and a failure a dogged determinist to like I'm coming back and I'm playing football yeah. for Michigan State. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. We're talking with Matt Wenzel here about his story. Uh, he camped out, not camped out, but sat in with the Kari Willis, uh, with Kari Willis and his family uh, during the draft. Kari Willis, the Indianapolis Colts and the realization of an NFL dream. You can read that on MLive. Uh, going back to the family dynamic, uh, there's another fun anecdote there. His mom was praying that Kari would end up close, somewhere drivable. Uh, and his dad, until the Red Box Bowl, uh, had a pretty significant fear of flights, it seems. So how does that sort of stuff play into who Kari is? Uh, just those family dynamics and the strength of the bonds he has with them. You know, how does that play into the man that Kari is growing into? Well, I think, I mean, his both of his parents are, are very good people. I've, I've never, you know, they're, the Wills family is very well known in Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it helps when you have 10 kids. It's <laughs> kind of hard not to know, but... <laughs> You know, his mom's active in the community. His dad's been the, you know, the director of the Martin Luther King uh, Junior Community Center there. So, I mean, you you you're running across a lot of people. His dad coached basketball at Jackson College, and he's you know coaching high school. I mean, so you get around everything. But um, you know, he just came came up from a strong family environment. I guess that's the the best way to put it. It, it you know, 
parents have always been there for him. His brother's been there for him. You know, he's, he's credited his brothers with helping mature him. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's the flying thing is kind of just funny. His dad, had, yeah, I, I didn't know. I, you know, I, I swear, I, I thought I'd maybe, I thought his dad had been at some of those, uh, some of those on some of those flights before, but, um, no, you'd said that, uh, you'd had tickets booked for other trips and just didn't go. And then it was, uh, the Red Box Bowl, uh, he decided to finally, he said he had a bad experience flying 32 mm-hmm. years ago. So he broke that streak by going to the Red Box Bowl and, uh, his mom, Mary does not have a fear of flying. So she said, she said she quite enjoys it, but she joked that ever since he got over his, uh, over his slump for 32 years, he's now been flying, uh, going everywhere. So apparently that was a easy to conquer after a long time. Yeah, and and if he didn't, you know, it all worked out. Indy's not far uh, yeah. from yeah. from Jackson, so it, what is it, a four hour drive for them from Jackson? So that worked out, keeping them in the Midwest, uh, especially for home games. So uh, it all worked out there. Uh, again, guys, if you want to read Kari Willis, the Indianapolis Colts and the realization of an NFL dream, you can find it at M Live. Uh, Matt, uh, what is your Twitter handle for people who want to follow you there or uh, find the story? Uh, M Wenzel two, and then um, everything that uh, I write for me, for M Live is at mlive.com slash Spartan. Great. All right. Uh, again, thank you so much for the time. Hopefully, we'll catch up with you down the road once we sort of get the gears of football season rolling again late summer. So, thanks for the time, Matt. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Matt for joining the show, and definitely go check out uh, his article on Kari Willis if you haven't done so yet. All right, we'll be back after this break with Andrew Wade from Locked on Hawkeyes to talk about TJ Hawkinson joining the Lions. Remember to get the show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Spartans in the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya. With our personally curated playlists and new features every day, download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Spartans. All right, welcome back to Locked on Spartans. We are joined now by Andrew Wade of Locked on Hawkeyes. Or is it Locked on Iowa, Andrew? I should have asked that before we got going. Yeah, it's Locked on Hawkeyes. Locked on Hawkeyes is a little bit hard to do on Twitter, so we're Locked on Iowa on Twitter. Locked on Iowa. Great. Just making it real easy. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I guess, brother podcast, sister podcast, however you want to refer to it, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network here. Uh, and you also contribute to Dear Old Gold, correct? That is correct. And I would actually yeah. consider it maybe even the Little Brother podcast just because Little brother. <laughs> the Spartans kick the crap out of the Hawks in pretty much every sport, it seems like. So that's fun. It's been going well for Michigan State lately, but we are not having you on to talk about that. I've talked about on the show, things tend to thin out here after basketball season wraps up. And so we're doing things that are Michigan State adjacent, Michigan related, things like that. And with the Detroit Lions recently selecting TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa at number eight overall in the NFL draft, I thought this would be a great chance to uh, bring Andrew in to talk about what we're getting in Hawkinson. Michigan State didn't uh, played only one time, I think, against uh, Iowa while Hawkinson was there. Uh, so we don't know a ton about him, and there's a lot of Lions fans on the show. So, uh, Andrew, thanks for the time. And just to give us a primer on Hawkinson, what type of football player uh, are the Lions getting in this guy? What does he do well? Uh, what are some of his big strengths? Yeah, I mean, this guy can literally do everything well. I think that's what makes him, you know, a top 10 selection is the fact that he can catch the ball, he can block, he can split out. I mean, he's not the fastest guy. But overall, his game is just incredibly versatile, and he's going to be able to help the Lions 
you know, run the ball well, really well. And he's also going to give Matt Stafford a great target in the passing game. So personally, I just, I think all around, he can pretty much do everything pretty well. And I would say his blocking is probably his most superior trait. Um, I was talking to some other people in advance of the draft, and I personally think that, you know, TJ Hawkinson's blocking might make him one of the top five blocking tight ends in the NFL already. Um, and then the pass catching, I think, is is very good. But I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not as good of no, as Noah Fant, per se. But you don't draft mm-hmm. TJ Hawkinson eighth overall just as a pass catcher. You draft him because he's going to help open up holes for on Johnson and whatnot. Uh, and a, a name we get, you know, that gets bandied about because it's an Iowa tight end. And he has had success recently in the league, really uh, coming under the scene last year is George Kittle. Um, so we know a little bit more about him thanks to fantasy football. And like I said, his breakout season for the 49ers, how does Hawkinson compare to Kittle? Because Kittle wasn't that highly regarded as a prospect. He was a fifth round pick, uh, but still was a productive college player. And then, you know, we've seen him really develop in the NFL. How does Hawkinson compare to him in terms of their times at Iowa? Yeah. I mean, Hawkinson's production at Iowa was significantly greater than, you know, Kittle. Kittle dealt, dealt with some injuries, also was behind a few other guys. Um, really didn't get an opportunity to break out in his time at Iowa, um, whereas Hawkinson had a fantastic season this past year, um, you know, a season that's probably one of the best tight end seasons in the history of Iowa football just in general. I mean, he had 49 catches for 760 yards and six touchdowns. So his production at Iowa is significantly better in comparison to George Kittle's. And I think I think the difference, though, is as prospects, completely different. I mean, you look at two tight ends from Iowa, um, you know, that makes kind of sense, right? Kittle can be a nasty blocker, but I would say Kittle is more comparable to a Noah Fant, whereas TJ Hawkinson to me is kind of like a, a better blocking version of Jason Witten. Okay, that's a pretty good bar there. Another bar we've heard thrown out, uh, and this happens with top 10 tight ends. It happened when the Lions took uh, Ebron, is the immediate reaction is this guy better be Rob Gronkowski, this guy better be Zach Ertz, this guy better be Travis Kelsey. Uh, and it's a crazy standard to put on a rookie uh, coming into the, you know his first year in the NFL, even as a top 10 pick, especially at that position where production can be tough early on. What type of impact is he going to have right away? Hopefully there's development, and I'm sure it'll take time to adjust to the NFL and get used to Stafford and being a productive receiver. But what can they expect from Hawkinson just right out of the gate? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think they can expect instant production. I think he's going to be a day one starter. I know they just signed. I believe it was Jesse James correct, yeah. out of um, Pittsburgh. So I believe Jesse James is going to be a solid number two player. I think TJ Hawkinson, though, just brings so much to the game. And he's a quick learner. I mean, he was he's only a redshirt sophomore. He came in, he redshirted his freshman year, you know, taking off the redshirt because he was just tearing apart the first team defense as a true freshman. Um, as a sophomore, did a pretty good job, you know, in, in the Iowa offense, even if it wasn't, you know, a big high-profile passing attack. But I think when he goes to Lions, He's going to be a guy who's going to get into the playbook and work incredibly hard to be on that field day one, um, playing in that very first play of their very first game. So I think he's going to be a day one starter. I wouldn't expect him to you know, explode on the scene per se. He's not going to have 80 catches, but I would say anywhere from the, the 40 to 45 catch range and you know, 600, 700 yards would be a pretty solid rookie season for him. And obviously I think on Johnson having a good rushing you know, year. And then I think as far as the Lions offense, you'll be able to see it with that passing attack and the running attack. They're going to be able to line up with, 
you know, Hawkinson in and have, you know, the different personnel and the defenses aren't going to know what they're going to do. They're not going to know whether or not, you know, the Lions are going to run or pass. So I think overall the offense is going to see a big uptick, even if you've lost a few receivers. But Hawkinson, I think, would probably do about 40 to 45 receptions, about six to 700 yards. And I think the following year is where he's going to really explode onto the scene. I mean, there's always an adjustment. He's a young guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, 21 years old coming into the NFL, there's going to take some time to adjust to that piece. But I have full confidence that he is going to be able to do that. And I think as far as Lions fans go, you know, Eric Ebron was essentially a bust. Would that be an accurate statement? Uh, yeah, I mean, the production in Indianapolis, you know, there could be still potential of his career because of the physical traits and things like that. But his time in Detroit is not looked upon fondly, uh, partially for his performance, and then partially because in two of the next three picks, you had Aaron Donald and Odell Beckham Jr. come off the board. So yeah, it was, it's <laughs> yeah. a bad memory for Lions fans. I can, I can, I can definitely understand the bitter taste in your mouth. Um, as far as I'm a Denver Broncos fan and you know, court, anytime we draft a quarterback, it just kind of makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, from a TJ Hawkinson perspective, you're getting, I mean, one of the safest players in the draft. I think he is going to be um, absolutely outstanding. Uh, Noah Fant might have more yards and more catches, but I think what Hawkinson brings to the game is going to be more, more than what a Fant can do. Yeah, and I think something that will ultimately help Hawkinson where Ebron just didn't get this um, is the type of person he is. Not that Ebron's a bad guy or anything like that, um, but he would be publicly frustrated and things at times uh, and combative with the fans. And, and just not, like I said, not that he's a bad dude, but there's a different level of like uh, football character, we'll call it. That's the phrase that yeah. like the, the throughout that it seems like Hawkinson absolutely just nailed um, and is someone who is super trustworthy and can be relied upon for leadership and things like that. And Ebron, if he had some more of that, I think it would have been a little bit smoother in Detroit, but that's just, you know, not his personality, not holding that against him. But I think Hawkinson will have that uh, to his benefit. Last thing here, you mentioned you're a Broncos fan. Uh, if yep. what, what pick the Broncos have 10, something like that. And they, yeah, they moved back. They did a good job there in that first round. If they were picking at eight overall and needed a tight end and they took TJ Hawkinson, given the value given other needs and things like that, how would you feel if your team did uh, what the Lions did? <laughs> uh, that is, that's a wonderful question. And one I kind of went back and forth on. I'm really happy with the Noah Fant pick. If they would have drafted TJ Hawkinson at eighth overall, I wouldn't have been upset. Um, but typically when you're drafting eighth overall, you have other needs in the draft. And I would have rather, especially if it was the Broncos, fulfilled other needs at that position. So for, you know, for example, if Hawkinson was available at 10 and so was, you know, Devin White, I would have rather had them take Devin White. If it was Ed Oliver, I would rather have them take Ed Oliver. I don't think that's, that's a negative on TJ Hawkinson. It's just a, like you said, it's a value pick. Um, tight end isn't as valuable as interior pass rusher or a tackle or, you know, people along their, you know, players along those lines. So I, I wouldn't have been upset, but I wouldn't have been, Raw, raw, raw. I'm pretty happy we were able to drop back 10 picks and get Noah Fan. I think that's a really good value pick 10 picks later, but I don't, a top 10 pick on a tight end is just always a little bit tough for me, even if it is TJ Hawkins and even if I do think he's going to have a Jason Witten like career. Yeah, and I think once the dust the dust settled for Lions fans, that's kind of where they ultimately ended up. And of course, the Ebron scars are still fresh, uh, so that doesn't help Hawkinson, but he seems like the guy who. Uh, the type of guy who's not going to let that sort of past history dictate any type of his career in Detroit. So now that he's on the team, if you're a Lions fan, you got to just hope for the best because uh, it working out with him is in the best interest for anyone, uh, for everyone. Uh, he's Andrew Wade. You can hear him locked on Hawkeyes, your old gold. If you want to read his stuff, 
uh, he'll certainly be back around. Does Michigan State play Iowa this year? I feel like they do. I think they do. I think they um, do. And if they do, we'll definitely have to do a crossover podcast yes. episode, man. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get together in basketball season. And thanks for the time, Andrew. Uh, we appreciate it. And we'll catch up with you down the road, okay? All right, that is the end of today's show. Thanks again to Matt and Andrew for joining us today. Tomorrow, Stephen Brooks from 24-7 will be back with us. He will be in for the whole show. We are going to talk about Michigan State football players that have NFL draft potential either next season or in the future. So look out for that tomorrow morning. Uh, Remember, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, I've got some unfortunate news in the Michigan State Twitter tournament. Uh, I did not advance. It's okay. It's not your fault. It's mine. Uh, We had a lead and then someone, I don't know what they did. They paid bots or something like that. Uh, We had a pretty sizable lead, like a 15% lead. And then we ended up losing by 30%. I don't know what happened. It was insane. Uh, But disappointing. Sure. Uh, But we're throwing our weight behind uh, Sheehan now. Definitely. uh, As this Twitter tournament moves on. Okay. Thanks again for listening to today's show. Back tomorrow with Stephen Brooks. Until then, go green.